This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 118 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you by Horseshow.com, Charles Owen, and Equestrian Collections. Heather Blitz from Wellington, Florida, and on the phone with me also is a great friend of mine who I haven't spoken to in a long time, Catherine Haddad, who's now in New Jersey for the summer. So, hi, Catherine. Hi, Heather. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. This is a great opportunity for us to catch up a little bit. I think it's been, I don't know how long since we've talked, and I know you've been doing a lot of competing on your fabulous horse, Chestnut, um, I might add, which are the best horses out there. Uh-huh. I have been up and down the European continent, like always, and I'm actually, I flew, flew both horses, both Cadillac and uh, Winnie Marl here on the 7th of August, and I am actually speaking to you from the stables at the team at the USDT in Gladstone, New Jersey, which I might add is one of the most wonderful places you can sit and have a conversation. I, I've been there for uh, the championships one year, and I just had a blast. It's such a cozy, wonderful place to be, and just the, the feeling about how many famous horses have been through there. It's really a, an emotional place to be. Yeah, there's a lot of history here. And they have done so many reserva- uh, renovations in the last two years. Uh, the footing is perfect here. It's just like the footing that I have at home. And they've really done a super job on the main arena. And the indoor arena is completely renovated. And um, I've been here almost two weeks now with my horses. And I've never had greater pleasure riding or training them. This is a fantastic facility. Oh, well, that's really great to know. I mean, I'm going to be heading up there most likely at the beginning of next month also for the championship this year, so I'm really glad to hear about that. And I can't wait to see you. I hope that Rob is coming with you. Rob, my boyfriend, yes, he is definitely going to be coming with me. I can't do anything without him. He's such a great support, and I know you guys are (laughs) great friends too, so we'll definitely have a fun, fun time catching up, and you haven't seen... Paragon since he was six years old, have you? I know it's it's been it's been what three years now. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to watching him train at Glassstone. Well, I'd love to get your feedback on him too. He's always been such a great um, support and feedback for me. So we're gonna have a blast. But maybe we should um, see if Chris is hanging around anywhere. Did you hear that she's gonna be on the radio show with us? I I thought we were just hijacking the show today. I thought she was just turning it over to us. (laughs) <laughs> I know, but maybe we should be fair and bring her in. <laughs> All right. Are you there, Chris? Uh, yeah, I was just going to be a fly on the wall this week, guys. Well, welcome both of you to the show. Uh, you really don't need me. Why don't you just uh, carry on? That we. I would like to talk about the European Championships that took place last week, but, you know, you probably got other things to talk about as well. Well, we can talk maybe about we do, but I don't know if all of it's, like, appropriate for the radio. Well, knowing how <laughs> the Blitz, probably not, you know. Yeah, we've got to play What's that, Catherine? Did you did you get a chance to see any of the Europeans on video or streaming or anything like that? Well, I've been really busy, um, and during that weekend, I, I had a lot going on here at my place, so I didn't get to watch a lot. But I did uh, have to see about this horse, Utopia, because of course the scores that were scored were incredible and I haven't even seen a picture of him so far so I did watch him uh, but that's all I got to see uh, just the Grand Prix so I'm very impressed with that horse just an incredible frame and connection and 
work ethic and so much expression, balanced, even, mistake-free. I thought that was a super Grand Prix. Without question. I saw that horse go live at Hickstead a couple weeks ago, and also Vallegro, the horse from Charlotte du Jardin. And um, I thought that both horses were really impeccably trained. And I, I wrote a blog about this, too, a couple weeks ago, actually saying that if Totilus went without mistakes on the weekend, which he didn't, unfortunately, but if he'd given an honest test and gone without mistakes, but the only horse that could honestly beat him would be Utopia. And that's because with Utopia, there's no ifs or buts. The horse is so correct. He's, he's expressive like Totilus is expressive. He's got just as much power, perhaps more. The rear end matches the front end. You can't, you can't critique the horse. He's amazing. And Carl Hester has, yeah, and Carl Hester, of course, has incredible uh, experience in the show ring, and he's really, he's always been a top, top, top show rider, and he's presenting that horse, yeah, without, yeah, I think in the Grand Prix, you can say, impeccably, it was amazing. I also saw it on video, but I only saw a few of them go on video, and and Totalus, sadly, because I'm a big fan of Totalus, and I'm, I'm very much in support of everything that he's brought to the sport. He kind of fell off his perch over that weekend, I think. Mm. That's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he made, it wasn't he, of course. It was, it's always the rider's errors. And, and I think that goes to show you what 20, 20 more years of experience can do for a dressage rider because Carl Hester is in his middle 40s. And of course, the DS rod is still in his 20s. And um, you'll, you'll see what another 20 years experience will do for Matthias Rod eventually. But I think that, um, you could you could see the difference in the experience level of both riders. Yeah, there's just no excuse for that. I mean, there's no there's no replacement for that for experience. Right, it's not at all. You have to go through all the ups and downs, and without it, you um yeah you just you you there's nothing else you can fill that in with. But yeah, he's well, a great I mean, rider, he's a great horse, and they have a lot of years well, left the other too. That's right, and the other the other factor that both you and I can can speak to is um, Carl Hester has has literally trained his horse, Utopia, from the very beginning. He didn't take over the ride from somebody else. So even though that horse is relatively young and inexperienced, the two of them as a pair are not, and they are mm-hmm. a pair. And I think that's what's still lacking with Matthias Rod and Totulus. He needs a bit more time to really get to know that horse and know where all the bells and whistles are on him so that he can really go for it in the chest and not make mistakes when he's going for it. And you, I think you and I both know that because we train our own horses from the bottom up. Um, it's, it's quite a relationship that develops over the six years you need to train a horse to that level. Yeah, you know, and it just means so much more. You just know them so much more when you know how they maybe struggled through certain subjects when they were younger, you know, what, what their personality was like when it really, you know, push came to shove and they had to really dig deep. And if you just know their character from all of the experiences that they've had too, then, then in the Grand Prix ring, you just, you just have such a huge advantage. And yeah, um, I, I trained uh, the last three myself, and but the one before that, I had that uh, stallion Rambo, and he came to me as a finished Grand Prix horse, um, already had quite a bit of a record behind him, and it, did, it took me two full years to get where I felt like it was my ride. And yeah, that's about right. Still, yeah, and it still never really was, because all the formative years, it just, you can't replace them. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't know how... Uh, yeah, how it can be really fair or, you know, nearly as easy or possible to have the same kind of intimate relationship communication if you don't do it all yourself. Yeah. 
Well, that's well spoken as a as a trainer of ground free horses. There are a lot of people riding at that level out there who don't train their own ground free horses, and you know that's I think there's room for all of us in this world. And there are some people who are really good specialists at taking over a made horse and turning it into something even better. But I know that in my life, I've always made my own ground free horses, and that's a special thing. It means a lot to me, and I I like growing up with them. I like gaining the experience with them and making them better all the time. Well, it really is more fun, like the journey, isn't it? My favorite is like the seven-year-old, eight-year-old years when they're, of course, they're strong enough to really give you some exciting things and you can just take your breath away sometimes, but they're still, you know, when they're still having to really discover about their bodies and their range of motion and their possibilities, I think, to me, that's almost more exciting than, you know, if you've got one that becomes seasoned over the years and maybe it's already been a couple, two or three years in the Grand Prix, my favorite is when they're just kind of, you know, seven, playing with a little of everything, and then eight, getting stronger. So, um, and they can show little... you, they can show you already what the future will be like, and it's a very exciting moment. It's a, you're right about that. I like those years too. Yeah, then it kind of makes you want to get out there and say, let's see what more they can do. And yeah, before everything's yeah. really confirmed, it's just so exciting because you just get these snapshots, and then, yeah, it's just a. It's really exciting, but I mean, riding it. But I own Grand Prix horse is a blast too. But the the formative yeah. years, the training years, are just um, my favorite. I, I also, I have to admit, really like the polishing years, which would be like from ten to twelve, ten to thirteen, um, when you're really working on not just getting a good piastre transition, but getting it on the spot and getting it quicker and getting the croup a little bit lower and making sure the frame is right. I like all those little polishing moments too, when you. When you know your horse is going to do what you ask from him, you know he can do the movements, you know that he's strong enough, uh, and there's a lot of routine in the horse, but you can then you can then take over and make the tiny little adjustments that you need to make just to get one more mark in the show ring. I, I love that part of it, too. Yeah, and it's, um, it's good to remember that even if they've gotten to be so educated to do everything in the Grand Prix, even to do well and be very successful, that kind of still surprises me every time that there's always room for more improvement. And, um, I mean, how many times when you were younger before you got to be such an elite rider did you kind of imagine what riding a Grand Prix horse would like be like? And I know I used to think when I was quite young that, man, if you get to Grand Prix, then you're just there. And you kind of, I just had it in my head that it was one thing. You get there and it was the, it was the destination, but it isn't at all. I mean... Even horses that are doing the Grand Prix for years can still refine and change and strengthen, and it's just fascinating how it's just a never-ending thing. Absolutely. I mean, I'm riding a 14-year-old horse right now, Cadillac, who unfortunately had the last year and a half off due to an injury, is now back in competition. And I am also amazed at how how much I learned in the year and a half that I didn't compete in, and I learned it riding Winnie in the international shows. I came back to Cadillac and how many things were easier and how much more I expected. And um, I'm riding him differently than I was before, and I think I've improved a lot of things with him. And it's uh, it's an exciting journey. It's like it's like getting to, you know, you, you search and search and search and search through neighborhoods for the right house to find the right house, but now I'm stepping through the front door, and now I've got a whole house to explore. So That's it's, awesome. it's just, yeah, it's a different journey. It's just a completely different journey, and um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. I'm so glad to hear he's back. He's such a beautiful horse. He's such great cast massage. So, like, yeah, what do you think you're doing differently? Um, well, I'll tell you what. I I learned a lot about making the trot 
bigger, getting the front legs up and out more, riding more from behind, riding more boldly in the time that I, I showed and worked with Winnie Morrow. Because quite frankly, Winnie Morrow, in the greater picture of things, kind of had pony gates when I started with him. And I made that horse have great gates over the last couple of years. And I, I just applied that kind of riding to, um, to Cadillac. And I was amazed because Cadillac always had big gates, and I was amazed what came out of that. I was like, whoa, this horse has, has more gears than I never even asked before. And then when oh, I got up to Hickstead, I got up to Hickstead and I watched Carl Hester really closely riding his Utopia, and I watched his student ride uh, Allegro. And I'll tell you what, I stole some stuff with my eyes, girl. It was really interesting what those two riders are doing with impulsion and straightness and throughness and you know it's nothing foreign to my eye i'd seen it before but something clicked and something really made sense to me in that moment and i came back from hickstead and i just i just changed a little bit the way i wrote both horses that's what i i have to say that's what i love about being in europe is that you can go to a show on a weekend and you can watch five or six really top riders and you can come home with something and say hey i can use that too exciting. Well, when I see you in, in New Jersey in a few weeks, I'm definitely going to pick your brain about that. But I think first we have to um, break for a little commercial bit here. Well, <laughs> well, thanks, Heather. I'd hate to interrupt, so I'm glad you brought me back in. Um, but I do want to say as an expat, um, something historical did happen in Rotterdam last week, and that is the Brits won their first European medal, Team Gold. And, and can I count how many times, how many text messages I got from Chris? <laughs> With big smiley faces going, the Brits, go, Brits, go, Brits. I, can, I can't even count them on two hands. Well, it is, it is great, though, to see it, the, the UK doing that, is making, making history. It's extraordinary. You know, you guys, I, I do go back a few years to the time when we were in the wilderness. We, the Brits, were in the wilderness when it came to dressage. And if you... If you were been you know off this planet for the last twenty years and you said to somebody today that oh we won the European gold they would have said oh yeah eventers you know they yeah, were right. not yeah, that's true that's that, true they're so used to the eventers doing well and uh, they have their own championships uh, this week in Lemoulin so they've got everything to live up to now I mean to for the Brits to take home the team gold ahead of Germany and the Netherlands is historical and then to take home two silvers thanks to Carl and for Laura to pick up the bronze two in the special it, it really is a, a historical championship and, have, and let's face it to have a drop score of 70% yes. and, that, and then three scores between 77 and 82 in the Grand Prix yes. it's just it's starting to make the sport much more interesting again it is. It's it really is. I mean, it really has upped the, the ante so much. And uh, so congratulations to all of them. And, and congratulations to Adelinda, of course, for winning the freestyle with that 88. And, and Patrick Kittle on his first European medal with an 83 bronze medal. Um, yeah. You know, you know, it was a great competition for, for all of them. So well done. And I have to say, I did, did notice in the warm-up, that uh, Matthias uh, Alexander Ratt was the only rider wearing a helmet, guys, in the warm-up. Some of them were hatless. Hmm. Yeah, I, I believe that, yeah. That's, that's very typical for Europe. Anyway, I'm interrupting your program just to uh, bring you a commercial <laughs> here. Uh, 
<laughs> and that is to thank our valued sponsors here at horseshow.com. You can now complete, uh, compete online just like you were at a regular horse show. You can get judged by the top judges and get the judges' comments. Just upload your home video and enter a class online at horseshow.com. It's a simple and economic way for you to compete with your horse from home. It's also a great way to prepare for your next show or to track your progress during the off-season. Horseshow.com features real horse shows for multiple breeds and disciplines, and they're judged by nationally accredited judges. So don't wait. Upload and enter to win today anytime at horseshow.com. Guys, back to you. All right, we're here. (laughs) So, uh, Heather, when do you plan to be in Gladstone? What's your, your tentative arrival date? Well, um, I, I plan to leave uh, the, the first weekend there, September, whatever that is, the second, I think it is, but it's quite a long journey for us, so we're going to split it up into two days and just not, not make it hard because of the heat. It's still in the high 90s and heat indexes of 110 down here, so, um, you know, and the whole first half of the journey is going to be in the in the south and in the heat, so we'll get up there um sunday pretty much and then we've got a place okay. to stay until we come over to the um the team on wednesday i think it is and then the jog on thursday but yeah i believe that's right i'm not sure i haven't really looked at the schedule yet i can't compete at this particular um festival because my husband is the treating veterinarian and that's conflict of interest with the us equestrian team so i can't actually compete at a horse show where he is the treating veterinarian so, but you know, you know how it is when you're in a partnership, when you're in a marriage, you got to make some compromises. And I said well, that I would stay out of like the competition a pretty good this year. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So next year, when it's really important and there's a selection trial, then he won't be the vet for the show. That's our no. trade-off. Well, we're happy to have him as the treating vet for the show because he's such a fantastic uh, veterinarian and person. And I got to be around him just at, um, at Devon last year a little bit, but I'll be happy to get to spend more time with the both of you for sure. And the party at your house sounds great. I would have one, All but right. I can't host one there. So. <laughs> uh, are you bringing the dogs? Are you bringing your whippets up? No, I have, well, you know, I have four now. Have I, you know that, that I just have mm-hmm. a, a two, two puppies. One is six months now. Her name is Rogue. And then Giacomo is 10 months. And then I have Remy and Reflex. So we have four now. Um, wow. But either way, even if I only had one, I think, uh, you know, if I'm lucky enough to make the team, then for the time I would be in Mexico, I don't really know what I'd do with them. Are you going somewhere, or, Heather? Are you planning on going somewhere? Well, you know, we'll just see how it goes. But I'd like to go to uh, Mexico in October with the team for the Pan So oh, I'm going to try really hard to get on that team. Really? I, I wonder what you were doing playing down there with that scruffy pony. <laughs> yeah, well, we do, we, we do just play most of the time, but every now and then we go to work. <laughs> when when are the Pan American Games exactly? What are the dates of the games? Well, if uh, I can just click on my calendar, it's... Um, well, Heather, the, you had to go to your iPhone, and, uh, you know, the last app you opened was the Scrabble game you keep playing. So, Oh, I cannot get anything done because I keep playing Words with Friends. I have to just get that <laughs> app off my phone. Um, see, Catherine, the pre-St. George starts on October 16th, and the intermediary is the 17th, and then the freestyle is the 19th of right. October. So it's about a month after the trial, a month and a few days. Yeah. Are you so, going to go to Guadalajara? I don't think so. I'm be- I'll be heading back to Germany right about that time, actually, the week before, probably. That's my ah. plan at the moment. 
um, at the moment. So a lot of a lot of irons are actually up in the air. They're not even in the fire yet, so that could change. Uh-huh. Are they kicking but, you um, out of the country again, Catherine? You know how it is. They don't let me stay very long. <laughs> <laughs> Limited access. Each time you come, you just here for a little while, and you kick you back to Europe. That's right. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so you take your horses back with you in October, and you stay there for yeah, how long? That's the plan at the moment. Um, well, I'm still closing out my stable. I mean, eventually I'm moving back to the States, and I was hoping to hold out until after the London Olympics. Um, but it's getting kind of difficult. I, I would really actually like to be with my husband. And I love this area here around California and Gladstone, New Jersey. So I'm looking for a place. And when I find a place, I'll work a little bit harder to get harder to get that business closed in Germany. But, of course, mm-hmm. you know, there's the, the thing about horse shows, too, and um, we have so many horse shows that you can go to in, in Europe this winter. I am hoping that all the plans for Florida come through and that we actually could hear by, you know, the 1st of December that all of those horse shows that are planned will actually take place. If that's the case, I would also consider a plan of going to Florida on the 1st of January. So, like I said, there's a lot of irons kind of thrown up in the air, and I'm going to see where they land. And mm. then we'll, that then we'll so put them in the fire. Well, to have you here in Wellington. It's just hard to even imagine because, I mean... You've just been in Germany for so long, but to have you here would just be just be a huge amount of fun. I really hope, for my my selfish sake, that that works out. <laughs> we it want would be you great. here. I would love to. Yeah, 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 I'd love to do it. Yeah, you're causing a riot at the parties down in Florida. I can just imagine what Wellington's going to be like. You two partying together. Yeah, I don't know if they're ready for us. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. <laughs> I don't know if they're ready for us either. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember that one World Cup qualifier up in Gothenburg? Is that you fit for broadcast? It, whoa, 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 Catherine. Is this for, fit for broadcast? <laughs> I mean the one where we streak midnight into the ocean? No, that's, that's the one at Falsterbo. Oh, that was Falsterbo. That's right. That's too cold to streak in Falsterbo, surely. What? <laughs> I'd say it's too cold to streak in Falsterbo, surely. No, no. Well, that just makes no. it more of a challenge anyway, even if it is too cold. <laughs> yeah, Falsterville, is, it's always hot and summery. It's like a beach party at Falsterville. The only, reason, is I'm in the winter, the only reason I'm here these, this, this week, guys, to, uh, to keep you company is to actually censor this show. Oh, right. Okay, so we can't talk about things like what we did on the beach at Falsterville. That's okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm telling so, you, there's some really the- fun horse shows over here. Yeah, I can, I mean, the two years that I got to compete over there, I just, I'll never forget it. And I definitely want to go back again and and do it again somehow, some way, some horses. But, you know, it costs a little bit of money to do that. And that's definitely a, a challenge for me in my life. Uh, I, I hear you. That's actually my, my goal in being here these two months is to find some financial support for an Olympic bid. Otherwise, I'm going to have to make some hard decisions in the next couple of weeks. So when people ask me what I'm doing in the beginning of October, that's why I don't really know why, because I need to, I need to make some changes, and uh, we'll see what happens. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, it's a problem for all of our top riders. We, we really, there's a lot of top riders out there who are not sponsored who mm-hmm. need to come up with some kind of financial support and a base that they can operate from. And, and I think, I'm, I'm sad to say this, but I think it's one thing that's going to cut into the success of, of our country as a dressage nation over the next 10 to 15 years because the Germans and the Dutch and the, the Swedish and uh, to some extent Switzerland, they're so far ahead of us in supporting their riders. Not, not forgetting the Brits, excuse me. And the Brits. The Brits <laughs> the who? Actually, the who? <laughs> actually, the Brits have one of the greatest programs of all. Their Olympic programs are supported by a very extensive lottery. Yep. Um, 
in, mm-hmm. in Great Britain. And that's, you know, that's injected so much money into their sport that they're able to support their riders. And, and that's, boy, that makes such a big difference. You know as well as I do how they're like going around earning money for clinic, in clinics. It's, it's good income, but it takes you away from what you should be doing, which is staying home and training your horse. So, I know. It's a really impossible balance. I mean, you can barely get on the road enough to make enough to support what you're doing at home to get your horse on the road. And, yeah, I mean, I'll be gone if I make the team for the Pan Ams. I'll be gone for a total of two months away from home and work, and expenses keep going and income stops. So right. it's a double whammy, and it's a, it's a lot of difficulty. And, um, you know, sometimes I think from the outside it looks like um, riders that are doing well and have, um, you know, competitive and nice horses maybe seem from the outside like they're all financially covered, and it's just not the case. No, people like you and I, we struggle to earn our enough cash every month to make every month to make ends meet. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. I mean, I went to World Cup final this year with Winnie Morrow, which I was super excited about. But uh, the last 14 days before the World, World Cup final, I was away from my stable in two different countries for five different days teaching clinics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm nearly, I'm nearly certain that Ad- Adelinda Cornelson was not five of the last 14 days of World Cup, was not mm-hmm. sitting on her horse, you know? Really? So I, I would hope that in some way we can eventually, maybe you and I can think of a good idea, find a way to get some support for our top riders, not even for our top riders, but for riders that are coming up as well. We need to find mm-hmm. a way to, to support riders financially because when they're away from home so much, traveling so much, showing so much, training so much, even to pay coaching fees, for God's sake. Yeah. yeah. We need some well, maybe there. we talk to the Brits and find out how they do that lottery thing. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, they've got a lottery. I think that I'm not sure on this, but I'm pretty sure it supports all of their Olympic programs. Mm-hmm. And the riding uh, program obviously gets a big jump, chunk of it. So... We, we do need to talk to some people, and the Dutch are doing it very well, too, and the Dutch are, are great at getting private sponsorships together and supporting their riders that way. Um, mm. I just think it's very important for the future of the sport in our country that we do something like that. Otherwise, the sport, you know, is, the top of the sport is only occupied by people who've got a private sponsor who don't have any financial worries. Yeah. And, you know, it is a sport. It, it should be accessible to more people who don't yeah. have that kind of, kind of financial backing. Yeah. Well, Chris, you need to contact the Brits for us. Will you do that? Oh, sure. I'm right, I'm right on it. Sorry, I was uh, playing Scrabble while you were talking. <laughs> oh, she's yeah, totally I'm lost interest in our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we, see, we, we can tell how interesting we're being since you're just playing Scrabble. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know I'm not. You know I'm teasing. But uh, you mentioned sponsors there and, of course, how valuable they are to all of us. And this uh, Dressage Radio Show would not be possible without the support of our valued sponsors. And one of those is the helmet makers, Charles Owen, who you may not know, also does gloves. They have something called the Rucklechester, which is uh, a really sens- sensitive on the reins and coupled with an excellent grip. And they also do the Ruckle New Ascot Glove, another stylish synthetic leather glove that comes with rein- rain reinforcements and elasticated wristband. The back of the glove is breathable, which prevents the buildup of sweat. It's practical and hard-wearing, making it ideal for everyday use, not least of all, of course, for your all-dressage riders. You can find out more about these gloves and all of the Charles Owen products on their website at charlesowen.co.uk. Heather. Yes, Chris. (laughs) I have a question for you. Can I plead a fifth? (laughs) I have a feeling I'm going to want to do that. 
I'm just putting that out there. Oh, right. You, you sound vo- most mistrustful of me, Heather. I mean, I know you're often lost for words. I know the way you play Scrabble, you're often lost for words. But we won't I talk- think I've beat you the last four games out of five. <laughs> but right now, just because right now you're 200 points higher than me in our current game, we're not going to mention that one. And I might have to just like resign now on that one because that's just ridiculous. you got a 100-point word. 102, actually. Let's be accurate about oh, this, Heather. Oh, sorry, it, it is sorry, a, 102. Yes, it is a personal best, so let's not uh, underscore it, okay? I mean, 102. See how she gloats? You see how she gloats? <laughs> I mean, during the Europeans, it was she was insufferable. <laughs> I can imagine. I can't imagine that. <laughs> What's uh, the question? Okay, uh, fire. Uh, the question. The question of the day is actually from a listener, and this is where we have to be serious. I know this is hard for you, Catherine, to be serious for a moment. Um, I mean, I've, I've lived in Germany for eighteen years. I'm always serious. <laughs> <laughs> you poor dear you poor poor dear I know come back to the to, yeah, if you spend long enough with Heather you'll soon find your sense of humour again no I'm, te- I'm teasing you alright your question is actually from a, a regular listener to the show Rhonda Crabtree who writes that she has this topic she thought would be interesting she's been wondering for a while if there's another way to train her horse dressage without the use of a whip she asks, can you do classical dressage without one? She says she has an excellent coach who gets good results and, but sometimes wonders if there is another way. It does not help that her horse is not very forward to begin with and she's not sure how you would tackle this top, topic of, of, you know, of course, sensitively as, as you do, Heather, uh, but, you know, how, how, without offending anybody because you never would. How do no, you, never. <laughs> how do you respond to that? Um, well, my first question would be why? Um, why do you want to do it without the whip? Um, I mean, I, I don't want any horse to get um, any kind of a punishment that is unfair, unwarranted, um, that is just inappropriate. And, of course, that could be an easy answer, like why you would not want to train with one. Um, I mean, I use... I. I would also have to say there's going to be many different types of horses and some um, auto who I trained to Grand Prix before uh, my current horse. One in particular, I only carried a whip with him just to see if I could. Um, so that horse, that horse in particular, yes, you can do classical dressage and get all the way to international Grand Prix with no whip. Um, but did she say that her horse was lazy? No, she said he's, he's not, yeah, not very forward to begin with. Yeah. Not very forward to begin with. Mm. Um, I think the risk of, you know, not using a tool that is effective enough or that gets through, gets your point through on a, on a, um, in a prompt enough way, the risk is that um, smaller aids or less um, kind of pertinent uh, consequences could lead towards nagging or the horse just kind of thinking that, well, if they just put up a little bit of a barrier that you don't have a way to get, you know, to stay a step ahead of them. And I could just imagine that a number of horses with their personalities, especially if they're sort of headstrong and they're they're sort of willful, um, you know, a perfect world, they wouldn't be that way, but it's not a perfect world and some of them are. Uh, You just need to keep stating your strength or being smart is um, bigger than theirs. And I would kind of think that I would have sort of more, more warnings against being too nice it's just as bad as being too mean 
there's a, I think there's a, a very fine line in between the two, and you have to be experienced to know where that line is so that if you do train with a whip, it's not mean or aggressive or emotional or inappropriate. But if you don't train with one, I would just really warn against not being too ineffective. So um, it's just an, a question that was emailed in, so I can't, I can't ask her more questions about her question, but I would kind of want to know why she doesn't want to do it. Okay, well, let me throw this one out there about the use of spurs and how early on you would start to use spurs in your training. Um, well, I don't really care a whole lot about three or even four-year-old being, you know, as far as really making strong points with them um, or being all that serious. I mean, correct, but not all that serious about really starting to dig in deep. Um, but... I guess, I mean, I have a pretty good control of my lower leg, so I can determine, I think, um, pretty specifically if my spur touches a horse at all. So I might, even on a three-year-old, as far as my skill level goes, I would wear, I wear my spurs on every horse because I can kick a horse without my spur or I can use my spur. Um, Of course, I wouldn't suggest that for lesser skilled riders, you know, who don't have that sort of control of their lower leg. So um, if I always have it on and I can control if I use it or not, then if, if it's a split second when I need it, then it's there. So I I kind of wear them on all horses and I just um, regulate whether, you know, how often I use that aid and how often I use a leg without that aid. Catherine, your thoughts on Yes, Chris. Well, are you, st- are you playing Scrabble or are you still with us? <laughs> I'm playing Scrabble. Actually, I'm playing Scrabble in German. <laughs> oh, oh, one up. No, the Germans have those incredible, you know, like nice long words like Verkehrsamt things, you know, where you can get mega points. So it's a lot, you can get a lot more points board. in German than, yeah, than you can in English, absolutely. Well, do, you have an, um, do you have an iPhone, Catherine? I do. Excellent. All right. You're in, you're, you're in for... Um, she's in the club. Yeah, she's in the club. Too late. I'm in okay. club. All right. Well, now you've spent so much time in, in Europe as well. And let's talk about the use of, in uh, responding to Rhonda's question about doing classical dressage without a stick, and also uh, the use of spurs. How early on would you use spurs? Because a lot of people would ride, use spurs and actually never use them on the horse. Mm-hmm. I think that's a mistake. Um, I'll get to that, that part of the question second, because it came as a second question. I agree with Heather, actually, in all the points that she made. And I think what needs to be emphasized is if you're going to train a horse from ground level all the way to the top up to Grand Prix, it's got to be a horse with a certain amount of electricity and positive tension if you're going to do it without the whip. And I was there in those years when Heather turned Otto into a Grand Prix horse, and he was one of those, or is one of those horses who really is sensitive enough to do the entire Grand Prix without the whip. I think the answer to the question is yes, you can train a horse classically, and in classical dressage and also in competitive dressage without a whip. It is entirely possible, but you have to you have to have a great amount of skill, great amount of knowledge, first about how to create tension, and by that I mean positive tension in a horse, so that you have enough, enough electricity and enough impulsion to be able to direct that into something like PF and dressage without a whip. And even on those horses, sometimes it does, as Heather said, help just to pick up the whip as a reinforcement, not as punishment. But if you don't get what you want from the lightest tick of the spur, most horses will react more quickly off the whip, although I have seen other horses react more slowly off the whip. So 
so again, I, I think you need to really develop your skill with the spur, and you have to understand why we use spurs to train horses and, and how it affects the horse's nature. By nature, a horse will move away from things that irritate his skin, or they'll try to kick at them. Like if a fly lands on his skin, he'll try to kick at that, or he'll try to, to um, jiggle it off. The horses are that sensitive. So if you're, when you're using your spurs, if you apply them lightly on both sides of the horses, and you don't re- on the both, both sides of the horse's barrel, and you don't remo- remove the spurs until he goes forward, then he learns from that that when the spur or when the leg closes on him, he has to go forward. The, ma- the mistake I see a lot of riders make when they're trying to sharpen their horse up to the spur is they kick him or they're too quick with the spur aid so that by the time the horse feels the aid, it's already gone. And then the horse doesn't have to respond to it. You can, you can kick the wind out of a horse and he won't go forward. But if you stick both spurs into him and hold them lightly there, he will go forward eventually just to get away from that pressure. So how you use the spur is extremely important. And I, like Heather, use my spurs on, on all horses, although I don't ride a lot of three- and four-year-olds anymore, but the people who train for me do. And in my school of riding, we don't use a lot of leg muscle in riding. We, use, we ride very skeletally with a very loose leg and without the application of a lot of muscle from the rider. So most of our leg aids come from the tip of the spur so that we have the horse responding to something very light, like a fly landing on their skin. Um, so that would be my answer to both of those questions. Well, I think you've addressed it very nicely there, both of you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting, the use of the spur, because a lot of listeners will probably think, well, how long a spur should I put on a horse? You know, does it depend on the type of horse I'm riding? And, you know, should I, is there a, is there a rule out there that says the spur has to be a certain length or no longer than? Do you want to add to that, Heather? Well, I mean, I'm a tall rider, so I end up having a longer neck spur just because my foot is going to be quite a bit lower than um, a more average height rider. I'm six feet tall, so if I have a tiny spur, I would really have to hike my leg up higher, um, you know, more sort of in a not neutral position to to use my spur. So that, I think, makes a difference to a shorter rider who's heel and spur position is always like right at the sort of the equator of the horse's body um, could probably get by with a shorter one. Um, And I think it depends also a little bit on the the rider's kind of anatomy of the leg and, you know, how their ankle is. If you're, if you, if I have a student who's really got a hard time not sort of breaking the ankle inward and would always tend to, you know, have the spur too much in contact and really had trouble keeping it away, I would definitely want a shorter spur. Um, and also the sensitivity of, of the horses. A lot of horses have different sensitive, uh, sensitivity in their skin. And I mean, some of them are going to actually, the skin will actually react sometimes to metal, like with an allergic reaction, um, or just in the sensitivity of the skin. Some horses' skins are really thick. You know, they don't ever um, have any reaction at all. And some are really sensitive and thin. And that's a factor also. Of course, of course, you don't want to irritate the skin. So um, you'd have to monitor... If you tried a length of spur or even a certain metal, um, you know, how your horse decides to handle it. And um, that's a, I think those are factors. And um, I like it when spurs don't touch the horse and then, like, with a lot of pressure on, then start to move up and down. I think that's a, um, a big mistake, too. And see a lot of horses get sort of, like, injured there. And that's just a really, really not nice thing. If the spur kind of goes on and then drags sort of the skin up and down on the horse's side, and those sort of things should definitely 
be, you know, a concern. And I think in general, riders need to wait to use a spur until they have an educated enough leg to use it very, in a very refined way and that they're not just kind of unaware of how many times that they touch the horse with it. Because that's a... I mean, your whole leg should have as little noise as possible so the horse can decipher what's meaningful and what's not as far as the leg movement and then the spur especially. So less experienced riders need to be really monitored and very careful when they wear even a short spur until they can have a, a steadiness that they can be very distinct, you know, where and when and how and what for uh, they're using this spur. Shouldn't they always be sure that they, they are... Well developed as a rider and have the strength in their legs before they use a spur as a substitute for their legs. Yeah, well, you're playing Scrabble. That's what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was what she just said. I love it, but I, I, I would actually Scrabble add again. We we just need to fire her. She she we need a new host. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I knew when she said we could take over the show today. I knew it's because she wanted to go off and do something else. And now it's got to work out. <laughs> yes, I but think actually, like, I'd be very quiet. <laughs> well, be- I'd, I'd like to add something to that again, if I may. And that's that um, when I trained with Mr. Schulteis, he had a couple things that he always said to me. One was, you don't learn to use your spurs until you put them on. And you don't learn to use a double bridle until you ride with it. And he, okay, I was a pretty advanced rider when I went to Schultz, and he didn't really teach a lot of people who were, were total beginners. Uh, but I do find a lot of times in clinics, if someone presents themselves in front of me wearing spurs and they look like a, a pretty competent rider, or when they come in without wearing spurs, the first thing I tell them is, wear your spurs, put them on. Uh, because more often than not, I find that those horses that are going without spurs are either dead to the leg or they're not responding to it correctly. And like I said, my system is a little bit different than some people's, and I want the horse responding literally off the tip of the spur. And that doesn't mean that you're spurring your horse all the time, but you're just touching him with the metal. And in fact, one of the first exercises I go through with many riders is I have them stand still and I say, okay, now bend, bend your knee until your spur touches the horse. And you would be amazed how many people don't even know when their spur is touching the horse. They say now, and their spur is still a quarter of an inch away or half an inch away. And mm-hmm. I try to teach riders how to actually feel the skin of the horse through their spur. That kind of sensitive riding is, is required when you're wearing spurs. And you also, if you're going to put it on, you need to know how to use it. So if you can't feel when you're actually making contact with the skin, then you're not being effective. Good point. Well, Did I, I, I have... you all speechless? You're, you're both playing Scrabble now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I almost got a really great word. Yes. Uh, Who are you playing, Heather? It can't be that good. If oh, you... I've got 11 games. It's, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I have 11 games going. Oh, my goodness. No, no wonder you get lost for words, Heather. But while you're thinking of a, um, to string a f- few more words together, I'll uh, just remind you all about our valued sponsors here on the show, Equestrian Collections. Because if you're shopping for a young rider, then Equestrian Collections gives you the best choice of riding apparel, footwear, gifts, helmets, and safety gear for the young riders of any equestrian website in the world. And there's always great everyday and promotional prices, too, with an enormous selection from head to toe. Equestrian Collections has y- have young riders covered, and you can shop in their young riders department at equestriancollections.com or in the horse department on the website. 
Equestrian Collections is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. Well, guys, before you run off and play Scrabble between you, I just have another question for you, because in the Grand Prix Special at the European Championships, Adeline Cornelison, although she won, she had an error on course. So my question is, okay, I'm going to put this out there. I've never done that, ever. No, I mean, I can't imagine from either of you, ever, ever in your long, no, long, long careers over many, many decades. Uh, in other sports, in other sports, girls, uh, you would be eliminated. Why are we forgiving in dressage of an error on course? What well, I can tell you that. Are... Why? Well, because our patterns are also similar in every test. I mean, it is... It is easy to do, as you know, Heather. I mean, I've gone off course in top competition before, too, especially after they changed those bloody tests in 2009 or whatever it was. Um, you know, turn left, turn right, it make extended trot, come across the diagonal. The tests are so similar that, and especially if you're riding a lot of different horses at different levels, it's really tough to memorize the test you're about to do and never, and never ever make a mistake. Besides, what, I mean, how detrimental is going off course? It doesn't really mean you're doing something wrong or you've made a mistake. You've simply turned in the wrong direction most of the time or, or done the wrong movement on the diagonal or something. So it really doesn't hurt our sport or hurt our presentation if the bell rings and you go back and say, oh, whoops, I wasn't supposed to do two tempies on that diagonal. I was supposed to start half pass. Um, it, it's, a, it's, let's say, a light error that can be easily corrected and easily judged, and, and I don't think that elimination would be fair in that case. But if you do it three times, you're eliminated. That's right. Okay. Well, yeah. of course, if that was on a show-jumping course or cross-country, if you had that error, you would be eliminated. Now, you might have right. the same argument, Catherine, that what harm does it do? You jump the wrong fence. Maybe there's a course out there with in, in eventing where it's the prelim novice, novice, uh, training, uh, intermediate, and advanced. There could be as many four or five courses on that same piece of land. So you've got a lot of fences lined up and they're flagged different colors. But you might, if you're riding multiple horses a day, as so many riders do, you might just jump the wrong one. Would it matter that much? Well, you just circle around and you jump the one and you think, oh, right, it should have been the blue flag and not the yellow flag for this division. But it does, it does matter more in jumping or eventing because they're timed sports. And dressage is not a timed sport. So it doesn't cost anybody anything if you make a circle, go back and do the right thing. But in jumping, it would put you over time. And then how do you judge when do you stop the clock? When do you start the clock again if someone's gone off course? And if you're on a cross-country course, how do you tell someone they've gone off course? Do you send uh, a runner the out there judge. to flag them down? Yeah, the jump, the <laughs> jump, the jump, just jump judge will, the fence judge. Yes, but the, but you know if the horse jumps the wrong fence and is already on his way to the next one, who stops him then? I guess it would have to be Maybe you would have to one. be able to call ahead. You'd yes. have to call ahead for the next jump yeah, on a walkie-talkie or something. They do. They radio ahead to the yeah. next next to the next fence judge. Yeah. Um, but you know, in in dressage, you still have a maximum time, don't you, for your sure. for your. For yeah. your yeah. And, and but you can. That's why you're eliminated after three years. That's one of the reasons you're eliminated after three years because by then you're over time. And for uh, freestyle, what is the maximum time allowed? Uh, it depends on the level, but at Grand Prix, it's between six and six and a half minutes from the uh, salute to the. No, five five and a half to six minutes. Let me get this right. Yes, six, five and a half to six. Right. I'll I'll save you there, Catherine. Yeah. It's five and a half yeah. to six. Uh, 
Right. Uh, but that's not including your introduction, which can be up to 40 seconds. 20 seconds before you enter the arena, 20, 20 seconds before your first salute, and then you have five and a half to six minute, minutes to come to your final salute. Right. And, of course, you take, I mean, like most people would just take some easy re- reading to bed. Catherine, you probably take the FEI rule book. Heather, what do you take to bed? <laughs> I take words with friends. <laughs> How did I know I'm not proud. I admit it. I'm I'm obsessed. I keep playing words with friends in every spare moment. In between lessons, in between, you know, you and Catherine talking, whatever, I play words. <laughs> At least he admits it, Chris. That's right. And, you know, after you get to all the levels of angry birds, what else are you going to do? Oh, well, I haven't gone there yet. Maybe, Catherine, uh, have, you, have you gone there? Do you have any app recommendations for the week before we close the show? Any, any what Me recommendations? Any apps. iPhone apps. Aha, uh-huh, app for, ah, ah. She's got to learn the lingo. You. She's got to learn the lingo. Right, no, I can't, I can't tell you about those. <laughs> oh, that's, is that another show? <laughs> my, no, I can't tell you about those on public radio. Not those apps. Okay. <laughs> Go to Captain's website at... Yes. And find I out will. what Captain's secret apps are. I will put a link to both these writers' websites on our show notes, of, of course. And uh, Any chance of you getting a proper vacation, Catherine, or have you been hassled so much after you were on the show with your dream vacation as to your choice <laughs> of vacation? Uh, as I said to you the last time we talked, Chris, every day is a vacation with me. Why do I need to go on holiday? This is true. That's... That's going to happen after uh, next year, after the London Olympics. My husband and I are taking our honeymoon. Oh, good. So that'll be like two years after you got married. Right. Exactly. Well, a year and a half, yes. You're, okay. Okay, cool. Well, on, on that note, um, anything else to add, Heather, to this show before we wrap it up? Well, I think I'm about to talk out. Uh, you need to save some uh, brain power for you coming up with some new words, don't you, for your word game? Yeah. Yeah, I got yeah, I got a big deficit to catch up on. You're in the game with you and me. All right, Heather. Um, thank you very, very much for for joining us this week, Catherine. Uh, any lo- final word f- from you? Uh, just I hope that everybody's having a great great summer and enjoying their horse shows and their training. And I hope that as many people as possible turn out to watch uh, the Pan American selections here at Gladstone in the middle of September. It's going to be a fabulous fabulous show. I know the people who run the VIP tent and the food and the catering is wonderful. I'm going to be here just hanging around since I can't show. So if anybody has any questions or they want to joke around with me or give me a little bit of humor, you know, I'm here. Come visit. <laughs> and Gladstone is a wonderful place, so I hope you all show up. Well, and come to Guadalajara, too. Yes, also. Uh, absolutely. Well, the best of luck to both of you guys. Thank you very much for uh, taking care of the show and hijacking the show this week. Our pleasure. <laughs> it was our pleasure. <laughs> And all that's left for me to do is remind you that you can check out our show notes at dressageradio.com. And don't forget, I'm still looking for young reporters out there. If you're under 20 years of age, send me an email, chris at horseradionetwork.com. And let's get your report on the show here. As always, we want to hear your comments, so post those on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And I will be back at the same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening. (laughs) 